If you would, take out your Bibles and turn with me to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. We're going to be beginning in verse 30. As we turn to God's Word, let's turn to Him once again in prayer. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, indeed, as we just sang, send Your Spirit now, Lord, to us. That you, that your spirit may touch our eyes and make us see. Father, show us the truth concealed within your word. And in your word revealed, we see you. Indeed, Lord, open our hearts to your word and open your word to our hearts. That we would know what we are to believe about you and what duty you ask of your people. Father, we thank you for not leaving us alone, but giving us your word and spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, here we are at week number 22 in our series, Jesus According to the Bible, an Exposition of the Gospel of Mark. And I want to start this morning by asking all of us a question. Have you ever been asked to do the impossible? I mean, not just the difficult assignment, not just solve the complicated problem, and not just persevere until somehow, some way, you somehow finish the job. I mean the impossible, as in not possible, unfeasible, unworkable, unattainable, out of the question, hopeless. Well, today we're going to take a look at an incident in the earthly life and ministry of Jesus, when the apostles of Jesus were asked to do the impossible, they were told to feed a great crowd numbering 5,000 men. And that is just 5,000 men, not including the women and children that were with them. And so over 10,000 in this great crowd. They were asked to do this with only a meager amount of food. And as we will read in a moment, five loaves of bread, and two fish. Join with me now as I read Mark chapter 6, verses 30 through 44. The apostles returned to Jesus and told Him all that they had done and taught. And He said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. 
So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven, said a blessing, and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. Just a few general comments on this fantastic afternoon and evening. A miracle so stunning Provision so utterly incomprehensible that it cast even the greatest miracles of healing into the shadow. No wonder of all of the miracles, it's the only miracle that's found in all four Gospels. What did people see as the food was multiplied? How was it done? One commentator in a well-known study of the miracles of Jesus wrote this, quote, This miracle, even more than that of the water changed into wine, when we endeavor to realize to ourselves the manner of it, evermore eludes our grasp and baffles the imagination. Well, let's remind ourselves of what miracles are doing here in the gospel accounts. Really, two main purposes. First, Miracles serve to accredit Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah, and the Son of God. And also, miracles serve to demonstrate the nature and character of Christ's salvation. In other words, they are pictures of redemption. The blind are seeing. People are leaving spiritual blindness behind. The dead are raised to life. In other words, people spiritually dead are given new life. The hungry are fed. In other words, those who are spiritually hungry are being satisfied. Now those are general lessons for every miracle. But what about this miracle? Notice that Mark simply just reports this event. He doesn't spell out the implications and the applications of what took place. Because you see, that's for us, the reader, to do in view of the context of the entire gospel and indeed the entire Bible. Mark really doesn't provide any editorial theological comments here. He just reports the event. Here we see the apostles have been out on their mission, commissioned by Jesus to go and to preach and to teach and to heal. And they come back and they report to him. And Jesus recognizes that they are tired and exhausted. And so he's bringing them with them to a desolate place, to a wilderness area in order to rest. And yet, as we heard, the people followed them when they tried to get away. And they met them when they came ashore. And it wasn't just a crowd. You get the, the feeling that there is chaos there. People everywhere. Jesus was planning to continue to teach his disciples, and yet we see it's interrupted, but it was not thwarted. No, his disciples were to find themselves at the very center and a part of his next lesson. Well, now, as we've all been hearing throughout this series, the Gospel of Mark is what I believe can be seen as the shortest catechism. Three questions and answers. Who is Jesus? What did Jesus come to do? And how should a person respond to the person and work of Jesus? And so you could rightly and beneficially approach any text in Mark with those three questions in mind. 
But before we consider what the text tells us about who Jesus is, I believe it would be first best to consider what the text tells us about who we are. Because you see, the Bible is indeed like a window and like a mirror. It's like a window in that we see through it to who God is and what God does. And yet it's like a mirror and we see who we are as well. So according to our text, who are we? Who are we? Well, in addition to Jesus, the other actors in this account are the great crowd of people and the disciples, specifically the apostles. So I believe here we should identify with both the crowd and the disciples. Who are we? We will see that we are both sheep and disciples. We are the crowd. We are sheep in need, in need of a shepherd. And as most of you know who are familiar with the Bible, you you know that sheep are particularly not self-sufficient. They are utterly dependent upon their shepherd for protection, for feeding. Sheep are foolish. They, in addition to overt, deliberate selfishness and pride, there's a spiritual obtuseness. Sheep tend to deny reality. They are helpless in addition to being foolish. They cannot save themselves. They must be solely, wholly saved by another. They contribute nothing, as it were, to their rescue. And yet, these sheep are meeting a shepherd. And we will see that the shepherd will bring forth that biblical ideal of tenderness, of being gentle, as well as toughness, being powerful. So we are the crowd, we are sheep in need of a shepherd, and yet we are disciples of Jesus as well, who don't understand, who don't get it, who don't get what Jesus is teaching. Fast forward, look ahead with me to verse 52. Jesus has been walking on the water, and in verse 52 we read, well, excuse me, first at the end of uh, verse 51, and they were utterly astounded for they did not understand about the loaves but their hearts were hardened in other words throughout this the disciples don't get it they don't understand what is taking place now the feeding of the 5,000 should have taught the disciples about Jesus about who he is and about what he came to do about how he cares for people and what he's capable of doing for them and how there are no limits to His power and to the provision that He makes for those who follow Him. It should have taught them about what it means to follow and serve Jesus. And it should serve today to teach us that as well. Well, as we've seen thus far in Mark, Jesus' first and primary ministry is to teach, to bring truth to people, about God, about themselves, and about salvation. And in fact, the actual feeding of this great crowd of 5,000 men and additional women and children, believe it or not, is not the focus of this passage. Rather, Mark's focus is Jesus' teaching of His disciples, teaching His apostles. Jesus is lifting the veil of His identity. He is teaching them and He's teaching us about who He is. Who is Jesus? 
we will see now that Jesus is the promised shepherd king of Israel. And therefore, he's the promised shepherd king of us. Children, the Old Testament can be seen as what? Promises made. And the New Testament can be seen as what? Promises kept. In verse 34, we read Jesus saying, these people were like sheep without a shepherd. Well, in Numbers 27, verses 15 through 18, there's a military image because Moses is praying that God would provide a successor to lead Israel so that the Lord's people would not be as sheep who would have no shepherd. He's praying for Joshua to come on the scene. And in 1 Kings 22, around the time of wicked King Ahab, the prophet Micaiah prophesies and describes idolatrous Israel as, quote, as sheep that have no shepherd. In other words, King Ahab, you are a failure. You are not shepherding God's people. And as we heard a few moments ago from our Old Testament reading, Ezekiel 34, God condemns the leaders of Israel for failing to shepherd the flock But God just doesn't condemn. He promises that He Himself will rescue them as their true shepherd, giving them abundant pasture and ruling over them in the coming person and work of His servant, David. And indeed, coming in the person and work of Jesus. So first century Israel right now, there's really no true leadership. Because the leadership is religiously idolatrous on the one hand or politically corrupt on the other. And as that promised redeemer, the promised shepherd king of Israel, David's greater son, Jesus is compassionate. Jesus is compassionate. Who is he? He is compassionate toward the great crowd. Jesus, in his compassion for a people that is spiritually clueless because they are spiritually leaderless. He teaches them. The cure for spiritual helplessness and cluelessness is to teach truth. Some of you may have been here when we looked at the, um, the church from Acts chapter 2. And we read about how the disciples and the people devoted themselves The people devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. We saw that, first of all, the church is a learning church. Jesus has deep compassion. He has sympathy. And what does He do? He teaches them. If a church wants to be compassionate to people, to do them good, we teach them. We teach them God's word. We point them to the shepherd. His compassion, his sympathy extends beyond just the spiritual, but also to the physical. Because Jesus is not only compassionate, we see he is powerful. What was the disciples' response to this situation? It's getting late. The people have been there. They're getting hungry. What's their response? Send them away. Send them away. Now that sounds harsh, but in reality it's reasonable, isn't it? That's what you and I would have done, right? Send them away. Let them fend for themselves. But what is Jesus' response? You give them something to eat. You 
give them something to eat. It's an echo, a loud echo from Numbers chapter 11, verse 13, where Moses asked, where am I to get meat for all these people? Jesus is underlining here their inability to meet the need of the people in and of themselves. Only one, only way, the only way this problem will be solved is through a demonstration once again of the sovereign power of Jesus Christ. Notice that the disciples end up doing exactly what Jesus told them to do. Jesus is here now acting as the male head of a Jewish household at the time of a meal. He gives thanks, he prays, and he breaks bread. It's not a miracle here of sharing, as some people have thought. It's a miracle of multiplication. Here we see the insignificant become significant. The insufficient becomes sufficient. A few loaves become a messianic feast. Jesus is compassionate, Jesus is powerful, and Jesus is, Jesus satisfies. He preached the word and he provided food. Jesus knew that the, the human is both soul and body. He, is, he satisfies through the preaching of his word and the providing of food. And notice at the end of our passage, the scale of the Lord's provision for the people. They all ate and were satisfied. It could have said this, they all ate and they all were satisfied. Jesus not only satisfies, we see in verse 42, but He provides above and beyond. He provides an abundance because we see that there were leftovers there were leftovers. Jesus doesn't just meet the need. He goes beyond the need. Jesus is the promised shepherd king, the redeemer, the rescuer. This is looking back also to Exodus 16 where we see God's people being fed with the miraculous manna in the wilderness of the Exodus. Because with the arrival of Jesus comes the final Exodus. It has begun with Jesus, leading them, first of all, to rest in the wilderness. Okay, if we've now gained some insight into who we are and who Jesus is, how should this knowledge change us? In other words, if the goal of reading, studying the Bible is not just to be informed, but also to be transformed, what should this passage have taught the apostles? And what should it be teaching us today about Christian ministry? Ministry in and through the church. And I believe this is particularly important given our present situation. Even though we're no longer a mission church, a church plant, we're nonetheless a young, organized church. And we want to continue to be established and grow as a gospel built, a gospel believing, a gospel proclaiming, and a gospel defending church. And so our third question that I believe this text helps us answer is this. What is Christian ministry? What is Christian ministry? First, it's a ministry in which the Lord uses what we have in order to do what we could not do. 
Notice that Jesus wanted to feed this great crowd, this great assembly of people, hungry people, by using his disciples and what they could muster to do it. He wanted them to participate in this remarkable event. Did you catch that in the reading? Jesus could have just done it himself, right? But no, he asked his disciples to do it. Because Jesus then and now asks us to do more than we can do every day in your marriage, in the home, in being kind to others who hurt you, in the midst of your fears and doubts. Jesus is always asking his people to do more than they can do. Love your enemy. Do good to those who hate you. Now we think that's out there, but think about the relationships that are closest to you. Jesus is asking us to do more than what we are capable of. Whatever he's asking us, it's more than we can do. But of course, he's not asking us to do anything by ourselves, but in our own strength and power. And so here in this passage, he is telling us what he will do with the little that we have. The church father Augustine in the 4th and 5th centuries in his confessions wrote that famous statement, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until we find our rest in you. But also he wrote this, Command what you will, O Lord, but give what you command. Jesus is asking more than what his people can do. That's ministry. But it's also ministry in which whatever we have, the Lord must bless. Notice that the food was given to Jesus first. He took it, he gave thanks, he broke it, and he gave it. And many have seen this a precursor to the Lord's Supper because the language is almost the same as we see the Lord's Supper described we've been given all of us talents and abilities but as jesus reminds us apart from him we can do nothing whatever your work whatever your calling whatever your vocation give it to the lord and ask him to bless it. because ministry is one in which whatever we have the lord must bless and finally, Christian ministry is a ministry in which His blessing is given and increased only as we serve the Lord. Did you notice that it was only as the disciples distributed the bread that the bread itself increased? They had to keep coming back for, to the Lord for more. And the Lord gave them more. Notice we don't see in here a warehouse that they could have broken into. But they had to keep going back to the Lord again and again and again. My friends, this is a great description of a life of active dependence upon the presence, the provision, and the faithfulness of Jesus. The feeding of the 5,000, in other words, is a call to prayer, a call to a praying life, to one long sustained dialogue with the Lord, much like the disciples returning to Him again and again for more food. 
I don't know about you all, but daily bread is good, but I sometimes would want it to come in a monthly amount, right? Or a yearly amount. Or a lifetime amount. Grace, we know the Lord bestows grace upon grace, and yet we want it all now. But what does He do? He gives it to us day by day, like manna in the wilderness. God knows what we need, how much we need, and when we need it. And we keep coming back to the Lord again and again. We just prayed a few moments ago, give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our monthly bread. No, because the Lord wants us to trust Him, not the warehouse. These statements capture the essence of Christian ministry, a life to which all of us are called. Let me ask you this. Have you ever been asked to do the impossible? Well, here at Grace and Peace, we are being asked to do the impossible, humanly speaking. Actually, commanded would probably be a better choice of words than asked. What are we being commanded to do? First of all, think with me the direction of up. We are being called to worship only one thing, the living and true God. Think with me in. We are being called to love and serve and care for people. And who are these people? People just like you and me, fellow sinners in desperate need of the grace of God. You think that's easy to do in and of yourself? My friends, it's impossible to do in and of yourself. And think with me out. What are we being called to do? We're called to proclaim the good news in word and demonstrate in deed to those in our community who right now are without hope and without God. My friends, these are three impossible tasks. Upward in worship, inward in fellowship and discipleship, and outward in mercy, missions, and evangelism. These are absolutely impossible tasks in view of our own resources, in view of our own strength. But like the twelve disciples with Jesus as He ministered to this great crowd, we have not been left alone to our own ability. We have not been left alone. We have the gospel. And what is the gospel? It is the power of God for the salvation of all who believe, writes Paul in Romans chapter 1. But we not only have the gospel, we have Jesus who is with us through His Word and by His Holy Spirit. Because as individuals, as families, and as a church, we are called to do the impossible. We are called to walk by faith and not by sight. And our faith is in who? It's in Jesus, the promised Redeemer, the Shepherd King of Israel. The Good Shepherd, the True Shepherd, who is what? Who is compassionate, who is powerful, and who satisfies like no one or no thing else can. At this stage in their following of Jesus, the disciples still don't get who Jesus is. But you know what? They kept following. They ended up doing what He said. 
Now, if you are still struggling with understanding exactly who Jesus is and exactly what He came to do, keep following. And remember what Jesus said following the feeding of the 5,000 according to the Gospel of John. In John 6, we read these words. Jesus speaks and says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. My friends, come to Jesus and keep coming to Jesus day after day after day. He and He alone will provide the strength and the grace and the forgiveness that we need to worship, to welcome, and to go out into the world and announce good news. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we thank You for this description of what took place with Jesus his apostles, and a great crowd. And Father, we thank you that we indeed do have a good, a true, a great shepherd who is compassionate, who is powerful, and who satisfies our deepest longing. Oh Father, would you enable us more and more to be sheep who are less foolish, but we want to stick close to our shepherd. But Father, we will never be strong in and of ourselves. We are weak and helpless, and so help us to stay close to him. Father, thank you for doing with us and what we have more than we could ever ask or imagine. For we pray in Jesus' name.